I love the way all the pieces fit together. Here we are in the midst of our summer of love, and we're in this series that is titled All About Love, and we get a demonstration of people who go to love people they don't even know by giving up their time, putting their effort into it, by getting stretched, and uh, I think God uses all of this to take us farther in the direction where he wants us to go. Uh, Just one thought, if you're on the fence about uh, attending the Global Leadership Summit, the GLS that Christy mentioned a little bit ago, let me just mention two of the speakers that are coming this year. Patrick Lencioni is the all-time favorite at the summit. He's spoken more than anybody else, and part of the reason that he gets the best reviews all across the country is that his information is so practical and a phenomenal evangelical Catholic speaker and uh, just really, really wise about the connections of how we do work better and how we lead teams better. No matter what you do, this would be worth it just to hear him. Second person that uh, is coming this year that signed on rather late so we didn't advertise this is Dallas Jenkins. He's the creator of The Chosen, which is one of the most watched television series that has ever been produced. And he signed on to fill a gap just a couple of weeks ago. And so he's going to be talking a lot about some of the content and the process of making The Chosen and why he took the risk that he did. And I think that you'll really enjoy that. Our scripture this morning is from John chapter 15. We're calling this message Greater Love because it rises out of verse 13 right in the heart of this section. Jesus is speaking. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command love each other. Let's pray. Lord God, creator of all that we see, we humble ourselves in your presence today and acknowledge that you are wise, you are true, you are powerful, you are loving. Thank you for sending Jesus into this world that we might discover more of your love and that we would find out from him what it's like for us to love each other and to be loved deeply by someone else. Help us to explore, knowing that your word is truth. Allow the words of Jesus to sink deeply into our hearts and minds. Draw us closer to him. We come here today to worship you, to discover more of your word, to connect with others who either are seeking to find you or those who already know you and who can bolster our faith as well. We come to celebrate the things you're teaching us, like 
this group was just telling us about what they learned on this mission trip. We also come to be in your presence and to hope that you hear our prayers and to lift our prayers for others. We pray over Christiana and our Vacation Bible School week that's coming up. And I pray that you would give her and her team tremendous problem-solving skills and uh, peace of mind. We ask that you will also uh, communicate your love and your grace to each of these children who are a part of all this. Help them to understand in ways that are appropriate for them and to take them a little bit farther in their understanding and their journey toward walking with you. We lift up some of our friends who are struggling this week and who are in need of of your strength and your help with their health concerns. We think of Tom and Chris Ajayan, Jean Devoisin, think of Peter. We ask that you would give them all great strength and that you will allow them to know that you are enough. We know that you're able to heal. Sometimes you do that. And so we call on you to release your power to do that. We know that sometimes you don't because you have other reasons of how you want to glorify yourself. And so we ask that you would allow your presence to be overpoweringly with each of these members of our church family and that you will work uh, your will through their lives. Out of our hearts, we ask that you would pour out mercy on each of them and that your healing power will touch them in a phenomenal way. Now guide us as we go through the rest of this hour that we've planned to spend together with you and with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. A year year ago, Sue and I took a trip down the Danube River. We had a cruise from Budapest in Hungary to Passau, Germany. On the longest sailing day that we had, we floated past mile after mile of beautiful, well-manicured vineyards. Most of these were in Austria. We saw more vineyards than I had ever seen before in my life, including one time when we took a trip to wine country in Northern California. This summer, in Italy and France, we saw more incredible vineyards, this time up close, not from a boat floating down a river. We discovered a lot more about these vineyards that we kept seeing, hundreds of miles of vineyards. There's an art to cultivating a vineyard to the point where the vines produce healthy grapes and even an abundance of grapes. But to a person who is unfamiliar with viticulture, that that cultivating work might seem, well, barbaric. Especially uh, once we realize that there are two primary principles that guide this kind of pruning work. Here's the first principle. Dead wood must be trimmed back. Dead wood harbors insects and disease. Without cutting it back, rot would take hold and soon the vine would be ruined. The second principle is that live wood has to be cut back drastically. So the gardener or the uh, person who's overseeing the vineyard cuts back a lot of the growth very heavily in the spring so that the life of the vine goes into the fruit rather than just into the wood on the vine. Now, when this pruning is done right, the vineyard in early spring looks like a bunch of bleeding stumps. It looks awful. It looks like somebody's hacked it to death. But in the fall, when everything begins to bloom and it nears the harvest, those vines are filled with abundant, tasty, luxurious grapes, and it's profitable. Now, here's the reason for bringing this up today. 
The context of Jesus' words in John chapter 15 assumes that we understand a little bit about viticulture, which was very prominent in Israel where he was living at that time. It has to do with the process of tending to and pruning vineyards. Even though one of the prime features of Jesus' message in this chapter is about love, he brought it up in the context of how the Lord uses pruning in our lives with the goal of bearing fruit. So our topic today is greater love. This is part five of our All About series. We've been calling this the summer of love, and we're looking at several ways that the Bible talks about love. What we're seeing is that with Jesus, love is not a casual word. Probing the meaning of love with Jesus moves us toward a deeper, richer, more developed, more robust understanding of how God loves his people and how he equips us to love each other. So good morning. I'm really glad that you're here. It is fun to see the room when it is this full. Uh, I'm glad that there are many more of you who are participating with us online today. Both crowds are very important to North River And if you're online, I'm going to ask you to focus in for the next few minutes. Try and remove the distractions wherever you are as best you can. I believe that these words from Jesus are so important that you won't want to miss them. Some of you online and here at our Pembroke campus are new to North River. Uh, I'd love to learn how you found your way here and how your journey brought you to this place and how you get started at North River. I wonder, were you invited by a friend or were you searching on your own? Tell us about that. To those of you who have been inviting others, and perhaps you have a friend with you here today, I just want to say thank you. A recent national study revealed that being invited by a friend is the number one way that people start attending a new church. And so our marketing efforts build on the word-of-mouth work that you are doing and that you are helping us with. I think this graphic shows that uh, 86% of people who start new in a church were invited by a friend. All the other things add up to much smaller components of that. But we come because this matters to somebody else and has impacted their lives. Here's the question that is running behind this particular message this morning. What is the greater love that we learn about from Jesus? And so I'd like to talk about some features of this greater love that Jesus mentions in verse 13. Here's the first feature. Jesus is the true vine. He begins this chapter in the section just prior to what I read a moment ago. In verse 1, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. This may sound very simple to you, but this was an outrageous and important statement by Jesus back in the day. Israel was known for its outstanding vineyards. In fact, the vine was known as the emblem of the nation. The vine also had great religious significance. When King Herod rebuilt the temple of Jerusalem, the dominant symbol that was placed high up on the temple was a great golden vine. And so Herod saw the collection of people who were gathering at the temple as the vine of God. And this association was so strong that the people of Israel in that time saw themselves as God's little vineyard on this earth. So think about how Jesus' declaration might have landed like a bomb in the ears of people in that day. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Jesus' declaration had national, religious, and political overtones. And he was telling his hearers that he took precedence over them all if they had ears to hear. Jesus used this discussion to emphasize the relation of Christians to Jesus Christ. 
Many years ago, one of my college professors was a guy named Merrill Tenney. He's long gone from this earth now. But he spent his life studying the Gospel of John. And he made a list of the, a comparison between the principles of viticulture, in other words, raising grapes to produce wine, and the statements of Jesus that are here in the opening part of John chapter 15. For instance, you have to have the right stock. He says, I am the true vine. You have to have the right expert. And so he says, his father is the gardener. God's the one who does the pruning in our lives. There needs to be the right culture for raising a healthy vineyard. And so he describes that God, as the gardener, cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will be even more fruitful. That's God's goal in our lives. There has to be the right contact so he says, remain in me as I remain in you. And, and we'll see that that plays out in terms of uh, the, the new branches needing to be tied into the true vine. And then there needs to be the right fruitage. He says, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Now, here's how that impacts you and me today. Your growth and joy as a Christian is largely tied to how connected you are to the vine. And who's the vine? Jesus. That means that God the Father prunes the dead wood from your life for your sake and for the sake of the fruit that God wants to produce in you and through you. What is the dead wood of our lives? And why does he do it? He does it because he loves you. He doesn't want your life to be wasted. He wants your life to be fruitful right to your last day. God's commitment to fruit in your life is a manifestation of his love for you. He wants your best, and he's out for your best, sometimes even more than you and I are out for our own best. He wants you to fulfill your purpose. Think for a minute. The purpose of a branch connected to the vine is not just to hang there with the vine and, and to have fellowship with the vine, but rather the purpose is to produce grapes. Branches that don't bear fruit, he says, are pruned or cut away. In other words, there's a sickness there and it needs to be dealt with. And out of God's kindness, he deals with the sickness that is attached to the branches. Only a vine dresser who does not have your best in mind would skip this work of pruning. And so there are a number of things that we begin to learn about this process. The reason that God prunes is to produce fruit. Verse 2 says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, we have already established that God's pruning is a non-negotiable in the way that Jesus is describing Christian life here. If you believe in Jesus, you are a branch that only lives in connection to the vine, and the vine is Jesus. That means that God the Father prunes a deadwood for your sake. And God's commitment to fruit in your life is a manifestation of his love. All of this is an extended parable that leads to Jesus' discussion of love. And so here's the third principle that we learn. What the vine teaches us about relating to Jesus. Let me read for you verses 9 through 12. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, 
love each other as I have loved you. Jesus wants us to know that his relationship with us is modeled after the loving relationship that he has with his Father, God the Creator. His love for others is modeled on that love. His call for keeping his commands is modeled after his obedience to the Father. His offer of joy flows from that love and obedience. And his command to extend that love to others is ultimately rooted in God's love for Jesus that flows from Jesus to us and through us to other people. All this means that Jesus is extending to us an invitation to a greater kind of love. My old professor, Merrill Tenney, some 60 or 70 years ago, wrote that this love ought to have another name. Because you remember that we talked about how there are four words for love that they could have used in Greek, and they're using the word agape love here consistently through this chapter. He called it not just a love from on high, but a lofty love. I like that. It's a lofty love that the Father gives to us, and it's a lofty love that the Father produces in us that goes beyond all the other loves. And so each time Jesus speaks of love in this discussion, he's using that word agape, a a love from on high, a love from outside of ourselves that has to come from God, or a lofty love. If you want to know the love of Jesus, this greater love, Jesus is saying you have to stay on the vine. Grapes don't magically appear on dead branches. You ever notice that? When you grow things in your garden or if you have grapes that are somewhere, we have grapes hanging off the fence from my neighbor's yard that grow into my yard and we eat some of the grapes because they fall on my side with these vines on our fence. But they don't just magically appear. This is why bearing fruit is mentioned nine times. Love is mentioned nine times in these verses. And, the, re- and the, the word remain or remaining is mentioned ten times in the first 17 verses of John chapter 15. Those three terms, bearing fruit, love, and remaining, are all vitally connected to each other. When Sue and I were in France earlier this summer, we went to a Cistercian monastery that is now a winery. Monasteries began as an attempt by Christians to pursue intimacy with God to the exclusion of interacting with other people. And so they walled themselves off from the rest of the world, which is actually how the monastic movement eventually died because they realized they needed to be of greater service to the community, not just out there communing with God alone. But in this particular monastery, they they grew grapes for communion and then they sold their wine from the abbey as a way to support the mission. Somewhere along the way, this monastery lost its way, went out of business, and was sold to a family. And so during the tour, we noticed that everything had changed. And in this marvelous stone sanctuary, there were these huge, massive vats of wine that filled up the sanctuary. They still did weddings in the middle of this, but the sanctuary wasn't filled with people. It was filled with wine vats. But as the tour guide was telling us about the importance of the the wine process in these wine vats, I noticed something hanging on the wall, and I left the group, and there was a cross hanging on the wall. I don't know how many hundreds of years it had been there, but if you notice, it's a wooden cross, but in the middle of that, there are vines that came from the vineyard that kind of form the image of where Jesus' body would have been on that cross. And it just totally blew me away. I walked over to the rest of the group is literally 50, 60 feet away. And I'm staring at this cross with the wine branches. And what hit me was Jesus' words. I am the true vine. I am the vine. And 
and you are the branches. And I just stood there for several minutes soaking this in. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with that. Blown away by the testimony from years ago of probably these monks reading the same passage that we're reading and reflecting on what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the true vine? What does it really mean when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches? And then a wave of sadness hit me. Because the obvious thing was that somewhere along the way, they'd lost their vision. And when they lost their vision, eventually they, they lost what the monastery was there for. But the legacy of, of when they were on fire with that truth was still calling out to us. Here's the big idea for this morning. Jesus calls us to stay on the vine where the fruit of his love is intimacy, obedience, joy, sacrifice, and answered prayer. Let me show you where that comes from. There are a handful of marks of this lofty love that Jesus embeds into this talk that he's giving the disciples here in John chapter 15. Actually, I'm skimming because there's more there than I can deliver in the time that we have this morning. But let me hit some of the highlights. The first element of this lofty love is sacrifice. So Jesus adds in verse 13, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. The title of this morning's message came from that verse. It made me think about what is this greater love? Jesus is talking about just not an average love, but a greater love that God makes accessible to us and that Jesus wanted us to know. It gets expressed in the kind of sacrifice that people make for each other. So this greater love is most clearly seen when we love through personal sacrifice. Real love is costly. It stretches beyond those moments when it's easy to love someone. Think for a moment. When would you give up your life for someone else and for whom? Some of those calls are easy. For me, the easiest call would be to give up my life for my wife or for my kids. But what about then after that easy call? When do we sacrifice for someone else? For whom would you give up a kidney? or a lung, or bone marrow. This statement about this greater love is something that captures our attention. So I love that Dave Bailey did David Coates' song at the end. This, this is love. It's probably one of the greatest songs David Coates ever wrote for us when he was our worship pastor. I think of the conversation with a friend of mine who uh, served in the Marines in, in his Vietnam years, and he said, all of us knew this verse, and we memorized it, and we were willing to die for each other under this principle that there's no greater love than the love of a friend who would give up his life for another. The second mark of Jesus' lofty love is intimacy. And so he says, remain in my love. He doesn't just say it once. Ten times this word remain shows up in the verse 17 verses of John chapter 15. The word remain or abide in the older translations, it just runs through the rest of this passage. So it is an important major sub-theme when Jesus was talking about love. Love is the main theme, but intimacy rises from that love. And the command to remain implies that there is a decision to be made here. It implies that there's an art to remaining in Jesus' love. It takes intentionality. Judas, for instance, was in the room when Jesus delivered these words. 
He was always loved by Jesus, but chose not to remain in his love. In our human relationships, intimacy requires intentionality and effort and focus. Again, this concept flows from the image of the vine. Branches die and do not produce fruit unless they are continually, daily connected to the vine. And so Jesus is giving us this this imagery so that we will take this principle and apply it to the way that we live out our faith. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just an occasional thing. It's not just a monthly thing. It's got to be a daily connection with the Lord if you really want to experience the kind of life that he's offering in its fullness. Intimacy with Jesus flows from daily times of a number of things, reading his word, praying, expressing thoughts of worship and praise to the Lord, surrendering our plans for the day to him, sometimes just being silent and letting him speak if he chooses to. And yet, intimacy itself is not the goal. This leads in turn to keeping the Lord's commands, which lead to fruitfulness. Intimacy is a tool that God uses to lead us toward greater and greater fruitfulness. I'll show you where that comes from. A third aspect that Jesus brings up is obedience to his commands. And and this is tied to intimacy and it's tied to sacrifice. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Simply put, it is very hard to keep the flow of love and intimacy toward the Lord if we ignore Jesus' commands. It's not that Jesus stops us, stops loving us when we disobey or when we ignore his commands. It's that we miss out on how obeying his commands deepens our connection with God the Father and with Jesus himself. Obedience from the heart is produced in us the more that we experience love and intimacy, not as a thing that we are forced into, but as a thing we long for because we know him and we trust him and we, and we want to be used by him. We want to be in the vital mission alongside of him. And so obedience flows from the heart that is experiencing the intimacy with Jesus more and more And we lean into his leading. This is the way that some of these marks begin to to look when we see them, these marks of lofty love. And a fourth one is participating in Jesus, uh, participating in Jesus' lofty love brings joy. He says in verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He doesn't simply want us to have joy. He wants our joy to be complete. I get the sense that this joy is like uh, the fruit of the vine that's overflowing and that's ripe and mature. Complete here doesn't mean perfect. It means full, means mature, means whole. So Psalm, 106, Psalm 16, 11 tells us, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Worship songs have been written about that since the days of David and Solomon right on up to our day. Joy. He wants us to share in his joy. It's an outgrowth of our obedience. It's an outgrowth of our intimacy with him. It's an outgrowth that comes from sacrifice when we begin to put others ahead of ourselves and put Jesus ahead of ourselves. It's an outgrowth of God's outpouring of love into our lives. Joy comes from embracing these other marks of participating in Jesus' love. And then there's a fifth feature of this greater love, that all these things lead to answered prayer. So notice verse 16. It says, you did not choose me, 
But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. There's the purpose statement from Jesus for the disciples. All the work that he was doing was ultimately leaning toward the end product that they might bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. There it is. Answered prayer. This is actually the second time in this discussion that Jesus mentions answered prayer. He brought it up earlier in verse 7. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done in you. Now, Jesus never promises that every prayer that we throw up for whatever reason we want will be answered affirmatively. But as we are vitally connected with him, as we are pursuing intimacy, as we are obeying his commands, as we are experiencing that joy as we are letting his love flow through us, he invites us to offer prayers that are connected to that mission. And he answers prayers that produce fruit in the life of our church as a whole, or all churches, and in your life and my life individually as we pursue that kind of fruit in our lives. These two promises about prayer reveal that God the Father grants our requests when we are intentional about pursuing intimacy with Jesus, when we love him by keeping his commands, when we love him by allowing his words to remain in our hearts and minds, when we are bearing fruit in our participation in Christ's continuing mission. So notice the purpose clause in verse 16. So that, so that you might go and bear fruit. More than anything else, Jesus wants you and me to bear fruit in our lives. He doesn't want you to live a boring, unproductive, unfruitful life He wants to use you no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your passion is, what your skill is, what your experience level is. He wants to bring fruit into your lives that makes it rich and vital and a blessing to other people. And the key to bearing fruit starts with loving Jesus, remaining connected to the vine, and letting that out, letting it show in every area of our lives. We boil it down to one sentence every week. Jesus calls us to stay on the vine where the fruit of his love is intimacy, obedience, joy, sacrifice, and answered prayer. If you're willing, help me wrap up this sermon with a prayer that we're going to read together. It's on the bottom part of your notes if you have those in hand or you can look up on the screen with me. But I dare you to pray with me this kind of prayer on a daily basis because if you dare to pursue intimacy with Jesus, if you dare to practice habits in an ongoing way that keep you connected to the vine, God longs to produce not just fruit, but even more fruit than you've ever seen before out of your life and mine. Let's do this together. Jesus, help me stay on the vine of your love Produce in me love-saturated fruit that lasts, whatever the cost. Let your love lead the way. Amen. And God, I ask that you will walk with each of us as we pursue you through Jesus. Amen.